Welcome to the Election Ride Home. My name is Kirby Ferguson, and I am your substitute host for this episode. Today, let's brush up on our fundamentals. What is the deal with primaries? What is the deal with caucuses? The inexplicable primary sequencing. And what is the deal with delegates? Chris will return shortly with the latest from the campaign trail. In the meantime, let's get started. Okay, folks, today we are going to brush up on our fundamentals. I'm going to explain the thoroughly convoluted and bizarre series of mini elections that precedes the general election, what we call primaries. I'm going to start with the most basic of basics and build up from there. I'm sure for many of you, there'll be plenty in here you already know, but I suspect even more of you will be surprised by what you don't know or what you have forgotten, because let's face it, this stuff is messy. Actually, let's start there. Why is it such a mess? There are two major reasons. Reason number one, the United States is a federation. A federation is a union of semi-independent states. This is a fact so ultra-basic and unspoken, we can easily forget it. Each state has a lot of autonomy. Despite our obsession with national politics, most of the decisions that directly impact our lives happen at the state level. This is very much the case with elections. The states make most of the decisions about how elections work. The election process isn't defined by the Constitution. The states mostly run the show, so each state does its primary elections differently. So elections in each state vary wildly, and they even vary from year to year. Primary elections weren't, for the most part, designed. They evolved over the decades. The huge benefit of this is individual states can innovate. They can come up with better ways of doing things, and the other states can copy whatever works. And of course, they can also come up with worse ways of doing things, and other states can avoid those ideas. And they can also do the reverse for whatever reason. They can copy bad ideas and ignore good ideas. Each state has a lot of freedom to do the wrong thing, not just the right thing. So, the federal structure of the country and its strong bias towards states' rights has plenty of drawbacks, but it's also a core feature of what has made the United States so dynamic and innovative for such a long time. That's reason number one for why the primary process is chaotic. The states run the show, and they all do it differently. Reason number two, the parties. Each party also does things differently. The RNC, the Republican National Committee, and the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, both make rules about how primaries work, and these rules change often. For instance, the RNC changed its delegate rules after the 2012 primaries, and these rules resulted in frontrunners getting a disproportionate number of delegates. It was this system that resulted in Donald Trump getting 59% of Republican delegates in 2016, while only getting 45% of the popular vote. To recap, the primary process is messy because it's driven by the states, each of which does things differently. Further complication is added because the two big parties also do things differently, and they are constantly fiddling with these rules. It's for these two fundamental reasons that the primary process is riddled with so many seemingly arbitrary variations and oddities. So there's going to be lots of exceptions to the statements I'm going to make here, but I can't cover all that stuff without getting sucked into a vortex of wonkiness. We're going to cruise past plenty of technicalities. 
Okay, folks, what is the deal with primaries? A primary is a mini-election in which each state votes for a candidate, and the candidate who wins the most states becomes that party's candidate. Now, in the actual presidential election, anybody over the age of 18 can vote, with a couple exceptions, like people in American territories like Puerto Rico can't vote, and people in prison can't vote. But overall, the vast majority of Americans over the age of 18 can vote. But in primaries, you have to be an official member of a party to vote. You gotta be a registered Democrat or Republican. In most cases, if you are an independent, you cannot vote in primaries. Again, this is the United States, a federation, so there are exceptions. In some states, independents can choose a primary to vote in, and in a handful of states, anybody can vote in the primaries. But for the most part, you gotta pick a party. American territories, like Puerto Rico, can participate in primaries, but that is where their input ends. People in these territories can't vote for president. Primaries are otherwise pretty much the same thing as presidential elections. You go to a library or a gym or a school or whatever, you go to a booth and you vote. It's private, it happens all day long, and you go whenever you want. So in primaries, voting itself is pretty straightforward. But of course, primaries aren't the only kind of, uh, primary. The other form of primary election is called a caucus. Technically, these are different processes, but both primaries and caucuses achieve the same thing. They choose and allocate delegates. So caucuses also get referred to as primaries when you're talking about the entire candidate selection process. And aside from right now, when I'm talking specifically about caucuses, I will also be referring to primaries and caucuses collectively as primaries. Okay, tangent complete. What is the deal with caucuses? To make things a bit simpler, I'm gonna focus on one particular caucus, and it's the highest profile one, Iowa. The Iowa caucus is disproportionately well-known because it's the first time a state publicly chooses its nominee. The 2020 Iowa caucuses are coming up on Monday, February 3rd, 2020. The Iowa Republican and Democratic caucuses are immensely different. The Republican caucus is much simpler. It's basically the same as a primary. You come in, you vote, typically by private ballot, and the winners get delegates who go on to the national convention. According to the Des Moines Register, quote, the 30 delegates that will represent Iowa at the Republican National Convention are divided proportionally to the statewide vote, end quote. So if one candidate gets 50% of the votes and the other gets 50%, each of them gets 15 delegates, who will then vote for them at the Republican National Convention. After the presidential vote, Republican attendees then take care of other matters, like choosing who those delegates are going to be, plus voting for members of the local county central committee. And rather than this just going on all day, the Iowa Republican Caucus takes place at a certain time, in this case, 7 p.m., which can make it more challenging for people to fit into their schedules. Again, overall, Republican caucuses are not that different from primaries. On the Democratic side is where things get strange. The Democratic caucus is not like a primary. First of all, it's a public vote. Everybody who's there, the politically active people from your community, will see who you voted for. Like the GOP caucus, it takes place at a particular time, so it's like going to a meeting. 
Registered Democrats gather in precinct meeting places, again, schools, gyms, churches, whatever. And in Iowa, there are about 1,700 of these. These are pretty small events, and there's a lot of them spread out over the whole state. It's a very local thing. Now, what actually happens at the Democratic caucuses is kind of like a game. As Drake University political scientist Dennis Goldford told Vox.com, quote, it's kind of like a carnival where the candidate's supporters say, come over to us, to our group, end quote. But it's a weird game with fairly confusing rules. Don't feel bad if what follows here confuses you. You will not be tested on this. First, supporters make their case for their candidates. Then, everybody clusters into groups which support each candidate. This is a physical thing. You literally get up and walk over and take a side. You can also choose an uncommitted group if you have yet to make up your mind. Then, everybody gets counted up and assigned percentages based on the total number of voters in the room. If your candidate doesn't have a certain percentage of support, that candidate is then eliminated at that site. The percentage typically required is 15% at most caucus sites. After this culling, we've now got a bunch of supporters without a nominee. What becomes of them? They can join another group, which got over 15% support, or they can recruit others to join them in an effort to reach 15%. They can also choose to leave, though if they've gone this far, they usually don't. Once we've got a bunch of groups of 15% or more, that's when we tally up the delegates in a second round of counting. There is then a verbal vote to ratify the selection of the delegates. Again, this is all public. Your neighbors will know who you voted for. Ultimately, Iowa has 49 Democratic delegates, 41 of which are pledged they have to vote for whoever the caucuses chose. I'll get into what that means in a bit. All right. Confused? So are a lot of people from Iowa. Here's an excerpt from an MSNBC piece asking people on the street if they'd be caucusing. Are you going to caucus, Pat? Uh, no. Are you going to caucus? It's probably going to depend on the weather. How about you? Are you going to caucus? Absolutely not. <laughs> Caucuses definitely have some serious disadvantages. Inarguably, they are much less accessible than a primary. At a primary, you just need to show up at some point on a certain day, and the act of voting should, if you're lucky, not take very long. Caucuses happen at a particular time, and if you leave before the end, your vote doesn't get counted. So if you work at night or you have to take care of your kids or you're ill or whatever, you might not be able to vote. A primary is quicker, simpler, and it's private. There's a lot less friction to voting in a primary. I don't think anyone could dispute that caucuses make it harder to vote, and Iowa's consistently low primary turnout seems a good indicator of this. It was just under 16% last time. But, of course, caucuses also have advantages. You're more involved. You engage in a debate, or at least listen to one. You hear your community members' views. You hear points of views you disagree with. And you can leave the event with a deeper understanding of the issues. If you're not a political junkie, a caucus might actually be an effective way to get up to speed on the issues and to hear about them from a local perspective, a point of view you can relate to. And because caucus voters can switch their vote if they chose someone unpopular, the results might be more representative of the community's real preferences. This can help with the split vote phenomenon, where a less popular candidate wins simply because the majority split their votes among numerous similar candidates. Caucuses are pretty rare these days, with just a handful of states and territories still holding them. 
The popular move lately is just to switch over to a primary. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Primaries don't happen all at once. They're spread out over the year starting in February. Iowa is the first one, which is a caucus. New Hampshire is next up, and that's a primary. New Hampshire has written into state law that they shall always be the first primary. So any of you states thinking you'd like to go first, you just back off because New Hampshire called dibs on first primary. Then come Nevada and South Carolina, which have both canceled their Republican primaries. As we've discussed before, there's a lawsuit in South Carolina over that. Then after that, it's Super Tuesday, which is March 3rd, and that's when a whole mess of primaries are held on the same day. This includes states like Massachusetts and Utah and Virginia and Texas, and biggest of all, California, which has 416 pledged Democratic delegates. This year, there are 16 states and territories voting on Super Tuesday, plus Democrats abroad. So by late in the day on March 3rd of 2020, we'll be well on our way to knowing who the Democratic candidate is. The Republican primaries will also be happening, presumably most of them anyway. I think it'll be exceedingly clear at that point that President Donald Trump will be their candidate. Looked at objectively, the sequencing of the primaries is inexplicable. Tiny states like Iowa and New Hampshire vote early, so they have outsized influence on the course of the campaign. Why does the sequence matter? Because it influences fundraising and media coverage. Candidates who perform poorly in these states are often considered lost causes, and voters in the next primaries might start to think their vote is better cast with someone who's performing better. The order can shuffle around from year to year, though the parties often deduct votes from states that do this. All of this culminates in the national conventions, which are now essentially multi-day parties where there's lots of speeches and celebrations, but it's also when the parties officially choose their candidates. The Democratic National Convention runs July 13th to July 16th in Milwaukee. The Republican National Convention runs August 24th to 27th in Charlotte. After that, things move fast. The presidential election will be November 3rd, 2020, so it's just a couple months later. The conventions are a big topic of their own, so I'm going to talk about them separately in their own episode later. What I'm going to talk about right now in brief is the delegates. What is the deal with delegates? Okay, you get it. 
Another historical curiosity of the American primary system is that you don't actually vote directly for a candidate. There's this weird go-between, this courier called a delegate, and they're the ones who go on to each party's national conventions and cast their votes. This is an especially strange realm of the process, and it flirts with non-democracy a bit. The parties determine how many delegates they allocate to each state. There are pledged delegates. Pledged delegates do what you'd expect. They just bring the votes to the convention, which saves them all the hassle of typing up an email and hitting send and uh, drinking some coffee. I don't know. For whatever reason, they go across the country to do this. Unpledged delegates is where strangeness ensues. An unpledged delegate is free to support any candidate they like. The most notorious kind of unpledged delegate is the superdelegate. Republicans kind of have something like this, but not really, in, in my opinion at least. Superdelegates are a democratic thing. According to Ballotpedia, quote, Unpledged delegates include members of the Democratic National Committee, Democratic members of Congress, Democratic governors, or distinguished party leaders, such as former presidents or vice presidents, end quote. There are 712 superdelegates, and they represent nearly 15% of all the delegates. Needless to say, this is controversial. In 2016, many considered Hillary Clinton's victory over Bernie Sanders to have been tipped in her favor by superdelegates. But it's worth noting that Clinton won the popular vote for the primaries by several million. Democrats also changed the rules for 2020 to try to avoid a repeat of the 2016 outrage. I'll talk more about that in the upcoming episode about conventions. Nonetheless, if superdelegates sounds non-democratic at all to you, well, that's because they aren't. Superdelegates represent themselves, not us. Nonetheless, things are generally settled by the time of the conventions, and the event is really just a party and a springboard for future talent. Barack Obama had his breakout performance at the DNC convention in 2004. Here's a bit of that famous speech. America, tonight, if you feel the same energy that I do, if you feel the same urgency that I do, if you feel the same passion that I do, if you feel the same hopefulness that I do, if we do what we must do, then I have no doubt that all across the country, from Florida to Oregon, from Washington to Maine, the people will rise up in November and John Kerry will be sworn in as president and John Edwards will be sworn in as vice president and this country will reclaim its promise and out of this long political darkness, a brighter day will come. Thank you very much, everybody. God bless you. Thank you. One last thing, of course, you can skip all of this and run as an independent. This is what Ralph Nader did in 2000 and Ross Perot did in 1992. But everyone who has ever become president was either a Republican, a Democrat, or a member of some now extinct party. I suppose you could call George Washington an independent, but since then, independents don't win. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't be surprised if you feel compelled to binge old Seinfeld episodes after this. My name is Kirby Ferguson, and you can find me on Twitter at Remix Everything. I am now off to get to work on completing my video series, This Is Not a Conspiracy Theory, which I've been working on for years. It's a series that is kind of about conspiracy theories and why people believe in them, but it's also about the real forces that shape the future and how we can influence them. I am very excited to complete this project uh, after so many years of hard work. 
I will talk to you all again soon after I finish that up. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. We'll be right back.